A River to Cross, Chapter 11. Water of life, sometimes it flows, sometimes it's a stagnant pond. Parenthesis, thanks be to God for the days that flow. In parenthesis. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces left over. Matthew chapter 14, verses 19 through 20. The best day of my childhood, the one that I remember in vivid detail, the one where everything went right, involved neighbors, a pond, fishing, and a bunch of little boys having a grand time. I want to tell you about that best day ever, about my neighbor who made that day happen for me, and about what it meant to be chosen to be included in such a great day. My neighbor, Mr. Graham Herring, he was larger than life to me. He founded the propane gas company known as Herring Gas. He and his home were open to us kids in the neighborhood. He had a way of always making me feel good about who I was. To my young eyes, Graham Herring knew how to live life on a grand scale, and he loved to share that with all the kids. I lived just up the hill from the Herrings, and we were constantly back and forth between houses, although I am pretty sure I wore a deeper path at their door than they did at mine. I was and am very proud of my parents, but I think it's pretty normal for kids to also find grown-ups other than their parents to get close to during their formative years. Mr. Graham Herring was one of those men. He had a unique way of doing things on a scale that was larger and, well, just different from other grown-ups. He always welcomed the kids to join in with his various projects and activities. He had a sense of the fun factor, and he just seemed to know more about having fun, at least the kind a kid enjoys, than other grown-ups. I recall one time when he bought several new Ford Mustangs, probably about 1966, loaded up his entire family and drove them across the country through Mexico and down to British Honduras for swimming, scuba diving, and fishing, just some world-class fun on a family vacation. When the trip was over, he sold the cars down there, which not only paid for the trip but also made him money and then flew everyone home. Graham Herring was a unique man and a great neighbor to me and many others. I still feel a deep pain when I remember getting word of his tragic death from an accidental gunshot wound years later. I was a student at Ole Miss at the time, and I recall vividly the drive home from Oxford to be with his family and to say an earthly goodbye to a good friend who had been so kind to me and meant so much to me. When I think back on his life and death, it seems very strange to realize that when he died, he was years younger than I am now. He left us far too early. I will never forget when he took me on my first quail hunting trip. That led to me getting my first shotgun, a Browning Sweet 16. Our hunting trip was a great day that he and his son Steve and Mike and I enjoyed together. But the day I want to tell you about is the day I went on the greatest fishing trip a young boy could ever imagine. 
In my mind, the best part of the fishing trip was being invited. Mr. Graham Herring personally and specifically invited me, and it meant the world to me. It should be a great lesson to remember how important it is to all of us to be involved, to be welcomed, to be invited. We all need to reach out to kids of all ages. Everyone wants and likes to be included. Love is an action verb. Mr. Herring had a farm just west of Meadville and just south of our local Middle Fork Country Club, which he was instrumental in the formation of. His farm joined the Middle Fork Creek on the east and Bunkley Road on the west. He had a really nice farm pond. To us kids, it was more like a lake, a great fishing hole, a perfect place to mix boys, sun, and fun. Believe it or not, that pond was big enough that more than a few young boys learned to water ski in it. Some pulled behind a small motorboat and some pulled behind a pickup truck driven along the bank. Those will have to be stories for another day, though. On a Saturday morning, probably in late spring or early summer, about 1964, Mr. Herring poisoned his pond. Well, that's what everybody called it back then, poisoning your pond. He spread something called rotenone, a chemical agent that lowers oxygen in the water and forces fish to the top. He did this around his pond and then ran the motorboats back and forth around the pond to ensure a good and thorough distribution of the chemical. This poisoning was done to clean all the fish out of the pond in order to restock it. Regardless of what they called it or why they did it, I can tell you we had fun. That was almost more fun than one little boy could stand in one day. I can remember everything about it. That poisoning of the pond turned into an awesome fishing trip for our group of young boys with a big old party and a fish fry right there on the bank of that pond. I can see and feel the water, smell the old pond mud mixed in with the smell of fish frying. Whew, I can go there right now. I just need my memory in a few moments with my eyes closed to escape to the bank of that pond well over 50 years ago now. Go back with me to that special day. Picture the morning sun dancing on the bright surface of the pond. Visualize this large farm pond that has an earthen dam at one end and comes to a point on the upper end, sort of like a teardrop with the big end being the dam, the deeper end of the pond. Look out and see the men along the grassy bank setting up their metal cook pots and homemade butane burners, skinning knives being sharpened, Small gray-green metal john boats floating gently in the still, hot morning air. See wash tubs full of ice and cold drinks. A whole flock of little boys going and coming through the water and the mud grabbing bass and brim and some catfish. Imagine the controlled confusion of a dozen or so little boys running and swimming and splashing around under the loose direction of grown-ups. Let the fishing begin. The thought occurs to me that some might question the sport of fishing in this manner. Immediately, I think of the story of the two friends. One is a game and fish officer, and the other is a very successful fisherman. Every time the fisherman goes out, he returns victorious with a cooler loaded with fish. That's not sometimes. Every time he goes, he scores big. 
After many times of asking to go along, one day the officer is allowed to accompany his friend on a fishing trip. They leave the boat dock in the damp pre-dawn darkness, arriving at a remote location just as day breaks. The fisherman gives the warden a cup of scalding hot coffee from his big silver thermos, and while the warden begins to sip at the coffee, the fisherman calmly reaches into his old weathered tackle box, pulls out a stick of dynamite, lights it, and hurls it into the lake. A violent explosion ensues, and the fish rain down upon the shocked game warden. The speechless warden struggles to scream out, you, 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 you can't do that. It's the fisherman friendly, casually lights another stick of dynamite, throws it to his friend and asks, are you going to fish or talk? <laughs> well, kind of like fishing with dynamite, you needed to be there because I want to tell you that wrestling those big old bass and dodging turtles and snakes and just generally fighting through that thick pond bottom mud was truly a unique sporting event sort of mud wrestling country boy style so you can either criticize or jump in and go fishing with us picture about a dozen or so little boys mostly 10 year olds and up to teenagers skinny young boys with bony legs and backs all dressed alike in their standard uniform of faded blue jean shorts no shirt or cap or shoe in the bunch and nothing that even resembles sunscreen just the burning hot Mississippi sun, pale skin, the sparkling pond, the long settled muddy bottom being stirred up by the frenetic activity of so many little pairs of feet and more fish than you could count. Can you see us yet? Our fishing consisted of all of us boys swimming around the pond, grabbing fish with our hands while avoiding the loggerhead turtles and the water moccasins. Go out, grab some fish, hug them to your rib cage, and head to the bank to deposit your catch with the men cleaning fish. Head out into the pond for another load. It was a grand, grand old time. The day was a recipe for country boy fun of the highest order. A bunch of boys, a big farm pond, a day of bright Mississippi sunshine, lots of fish, boats, and motors, and a pond bottom lined with mud that our feet dug into as the mud squished up between our toes. No time limit, just fish till you drop. We caught more fish than you could shake a stick at, as the old folks were wont to say. Earlier in the day, we mainly caught smaller fish, primarily young yearling bass and brim. I wouldn't even try to guess how many, but as the day wandered on, it became routine to come out with multiple several-pound bass every time you ventured into the pond. As the day went on, the dark green, almost black, big old bass started coming up. They were mostly in the deeper water, and we watched that water like hawks looking for something to feed their little ones. We took off like world-class swimmers when we saw a big fish coming up for air. First come, first serve. It was a contest to see who could get the biggest and the most, but no one was keeping score. There were enough fish that no one missed out on the fun. There was plenty to go around. I don't think it would be an exaggeration to say that we caught dozens of bass in the five to eight pound range and maybe a little bigger. I have a picture to prove it. 
As we caught them, there was a team of men. As I said earlier, Mr. Graham always did things on a larger-than-life scale. There were men on the bank scraping the scales off the fish, removing their entrails, cutting the heads off, and dropping them into boiling oil, rendering as delectable a result as can be found on they spent their life swimming in. Not just fish, but hush puppies and fried potatoes, tubs of ice-cold drinks immersed in large chunks of ice from Mr. Johnny Dunn's ice house imbued, and freezing cold water. A youngin' could eat till he popped, drink a belly full of cold drink, and then go back in the stirred-up muddy pond water for more fishing. There was no one there to fuss at you about taking a break after you ate. It was just hop out, grab a drink, a piece of fish, some fries, and head back to fishing again. At the end of the day, with the worst case of sunburn I ever had, we had a fish war. A jousting, if you will. Picture this. The two John boats loaded with little boys and one or two big boys. I recall Ed Herring in one boat and Jamie Cummins in the other boat. Jamie's boat, the one I was in, had about a 15-horse motor on it. Ed's boat was supercharged. I think it had a 30 or 40-horsepower Johnson Seahorse. The boats each loaded with leftover dead stiff as a board and harder than rock fish mainly brim that had been too little to cook or maybe the cooks just finally ran out of lard to fry them up in we would go to opposite ends of the pond and then like two jousting knights we would go at each other and accept that instead of horses and lances we had motorboats and weapons of hard cold stiff prickly fish with needle sharp fins now, if you don't think one of those weapons thrown by an exuberant youngin from a boat traveling at high speed, probably 15 miles an hour, and hitting you in the chest or the head will make a sore spot, then I guess you just don't know too much about pond wars. Whoo! Those fish would knock the fire out of you. It was just the best kind of fun. The knots on your head and the blood from being hit with the harder-than-rock dead fish the hands so sore from the fish fins and scales all day, your legs so tired from wading around in the mud, those were just our campaign ribbons. It was the greatest day a little feller could ever have. I was chosen, and I will never forget that day. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. We don't get to have these days very often. In fact, we only get a few really special days in a normal life. This day was surely one of those. Life is full of challenges, but there are those days when it all just seems to flow right, and I think God gives us those as times of refreshing. This great day of fishing was one of those really special days. The greatest part of it for me was being chosen to participate. The other thing this memory highlights is the desire to be included, the need for acceptance and approval. We all want it. We all seek approval, and even though there are always some folks who do great things like invite a little boy or girl to a fun time, there are still many times when each of us feels alone. There are times when the world turns a cold shoulder to us, and even when it doesn't, we are inclined to imagine that we are being slighted. The real problem is not with them, it's with us. 
We try to meet our needs in a world that is not equipped to handle or capable of truly fulfilling them. The sooner in life we realize and begin to enjoy God's provision, His invitation to join Him, the sooner we will realize that the only true satisfaction, the only lasting peace and fulfillment, is found in being rightly related to God, which is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone. It's a great day when we're included in special events with others, but we have to fix our hope on God's promises that he will never leave us alone. Jesus said then and is still saying to you and me today, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Help me, Lord, to be thankful at all times and to breathe deeply in those sacred moments when all seems right with the world. Chapter 12, Jump for Your Life of Little Boys and Choo-Choo Trains. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Pure Insanity. It is pure insanity to stand on the railroad tracks in the path of an oncoming train. But that's just what we did, and all in the name of fun. It was right up my alley. It may well be one of the craziest things I ever did, but at this time it was just another opportunity to be in the middle of something exciting, a potential collision between little boys and an onrushing mammoth diesel locomotive engine of the Mississippi Central Railroad. One of the things I enjoyed at Bude Methodist Church was how it gave us boys a chance to get together and plan our fun. Most of the plans hatched there involved the church itself and good activities. Our church was a loving and nurturing place. We had a great Sunday school and teachers, and our pastor in our younger years was Brother Jack Laughlin, a young, excited, energetic, and very committed pastor who loved working with all the kids, and he loved the Homochitta River. My family had been a part of Bude Methodist Church for a long, long time, almost since it was founded. Another family with many similarities was the, was the Charles H. Herring family, and one of my best childhood friends, Howard Herring, was a part of that family. We enjoyed many activities together, and many of those in the early days were on Sunday afternoons after church. I often went home with Howard, and we would eat and play the rest of the day away. The Herring House was a fun place to go. We rode horses, went to the river, and worked with cows. All irresistibly good stuff for a country boy. One Sunday morning in the spring of 1964, my friend Howard was telling us about a new plan he had for us. Mike Suber and I were all ears as Howard fed us tidbits of his new game plan. He assured us we would love his plan and said that his Uncle Pete, Peter Herring, brother to Graham and Charles Herring, told him about it, and it was something Uncle Pete had done as a boy. Howard remarked that if it was good enough for Uncle Pete, then we should give it a try because Uncle Pete knew how to have a good time. Howard's family lived east of Butte in Ediston. The Herring property, now known as Ridge Point Ranch, was divided by the steel rails of the Mississippi Central Railroad. The unique 
Ridge Point home and good deal of the surrounding acreage lay north of the tracks, with the remainder of the land and the home of Chitter River lying south of the tracks. Crossing those tracks to hunt, work cows, feed cows, or head to the river was just an everyday thing at their house. It was high adventure and great fun to me, and I'm sure to many others who visited that home. When church let out, we headed to the Herring House for lunch, but lunch was not the main fare. Our anticipation lay in Howard's new plan for Sunday afternoon fun. After Sunday dinner was done, Howard led us out to the end of the ridge his parents' home was located on. That ridge ended in a rocky outcropping overlooking a small winding branch and the railroad trestle bridging the small creek. The trestle stood about 8 to 10 feet above the small creek and its adjacent sandy banks. All right, boys, here is what we're going to do. In a little while, the freight train will be coming through from Natchez, headed toward Brookhaven. Now, when we hear the train coming, we'll get out on the railroad trestle, and then we'll wait until it gets real close and wave our hands and shout at them to stop. And when the train gets close, we'll shout and holler for the train to stop. Now, we can't move a muscle until they throw on the emergency brakes. And then right before they think they're going to hit us, we'll jump off the trestle. That's my plan. We will jump off into the sand down below and hide and watch them go crazy trying to figure out what happened to us. That was Howard's plan. We did just that. We hunkered down on the hill and waited until we heard the train heading east, and then we ran down the hill, jumped up on the trestle, and waited for the train to get to us. We did just as Howard said, waving our hands, hollering, and stopping the train. It was great. In fact, we liked it so much that we did it every Sunday for about a month, as I recall. It became a point of honor about who was willing to stand there the longest. We got so brave that we would wait until they had hit the other end of this little short railroad trestle until we could see the whites of the eyes of the engineer. The grace of God is all that kept our stupidity from killing us. In the end, I did get killed kind of when my daddy found out. What I didn't know, well, what I didn't know would fill a library, was that my daddy did some legal work for the railroad, and it just so happened the railroad investigators called on my daddy to help them get this problem tended to. They told him where it was happening, how it always happened on Sunday afternoon, and how it involved three or four young boys. Daddy stopped them in the middle of their conversation and said, I don't need any more information. I know what and who and exactly how to stop this. He told them, I will bring this foolishness to a screeching halt. Lord knows he was right as far as I was concerned. When he got through with me, well, I never thought about it or even dreamed about stopping another train. Pure insanity. What was that all about? Little boys like to have fun, but most little boys don't stand in front of speeding locomotives to do it. Looking back now over the span of the past six decades, I see that I made a habit of putting myself in harm's way in the path of great danger. 
It was a pattern of behavior and attitude that repeated itself many times over the years. I guess today it might well be called extreme sports, but back then it was just pure crazy. What I see today, looking back, was a burning desire to fit in, to be included, the desire to fill the God-sized hole in my soul with the things of the world, especially excitement. It didn't work. It doesn't work. It can't work. It's foolishness trying to do in our own way what only God can accomplish for us and in us. I have tried the do-it-my-way version of life, and it always results in disappointment, shame, and hurt for you and others. The idea that we can choose our own path because it's my own life is a fallacy. Our choices in life impact the actor, but also many others as well. Following my plan instead of God's is to choose a fool's path. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Proverbs thirteen twenty. Being desperate to fit in will often lead us to follow people and trends that are neither safe nor sensible. We need to understand that only God is truly wise, and he has given us a great tool, the Holy Bible, to light the way. We just need to use it.